I invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading. We'll read from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign upon your hand, fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Brandon Blackson. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and it's great to be with you and to worship with you. I just had the privilege of spending a week in Guatemala with our mission team, and uh, it's wonderful to be home. It's wonderful to be worshiping with, with family and uh, to be with you. So it, it's a privilege to be here, and I'm thankful, and I'm really excited about the new sermon series that we're starting this morning. It's called Block Party, Building God's Kingdom. And every year, uh, we take our vacation Bible school theme and, and the days that, are, that, um, that we'll be having and what our children will be learning each day, and we devote a sermon series to that because we believe it's really important for all of us to be learning what our children will be learning. One of the highest values that we have here is that we're raising children to walk in the way that leads to life. That's the promise that we make each time a child is baptized, that we'll help them become true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life. And so we're trying to live that out by all exploring the same things that our children will be learning. And um, here's a little secret. The stuff that you learn at Bible school doesn't stop being applicable whenever you grow up. Did you know that? All right, so, so it's good stuff for all of us to learn, and, and I'm excited to be digging into it. And uh, what we're talking about is, is building God's kingdom, building together uh, what God is doing on earth and being a part of that. And so uh, we're talking about building blocks, uh, about uh, Legos and all of those kinds of toys. And, and it's been fun for me. Uh, my daughter's four years old. She just turned four, and for her birthday two months ago, she got her first Lego set. And so I got to build that with her, and, and I, I managed to just point to what she was supposed to do and not do it myself. It took a lot of her strength, but it was fun to get to live into that again and to see her learning and building herself. And so uh, it's going to be a fun series. I love to talk about these kinds of things. But, but whenever you get a Lego set or anytime you build something, and particularly something that you're doing for the first time, what, what's the first thing that you do? Um, you look at the instructions. And so we're going to be talking about the instructions today. As we go through Vacation Bible School, uh, we have uh, one verse that's kind of our, our theme verse for the week, and um, I invite you to read it with me. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And what's awesome is that God invites us to be co-builders with God, that we can actually participate in that. And so we're talking over these next three weeks and as we go through Vacation Bible School about how we can do that. And uh, so, so I'm excited. Um, you, you've got this, uh, this verse on your sermon notes. I invite you to take those out if you haven't done those. If you, if you like, you have the opportunity to follow along with our sermon. But, but I invite you to, to look at that verse each, each day this week and, and try to commit that to memory because that's what we're going to be teaching our children. And so uh, I invite you to, to learn that along with them. But, uh, but we're talking about what we do and, and how we build things. And so whenever you're building something, you start with the instructions, right? Uh, at least some people do. At, at least people who, who think in the right way and who do things in the sane and logical way start with the instructions. My brother's in the second row. He's shaking his head. That's, you can see the difference between the first child and the second child. Like, uh, I'm all about the instructions. And so anytime that I build something, uh, that I'm doing something new, I, I get out the instructions. And it was kind of surprising to me to figure out that not everybody 
everybody works that way. I remember once uh, we would bought something in, in our family, and I don't know if it was a piece of furniture or some, something that, had to, that required assembly, you know, the, those famous words, some assembly required. And so uh, I got out the instructions and was following them, and it was about halfway through this project, and, and my dad walked by, and he looked at what I was doing, and he looked at the open instruction book next to me, and he said, you would follow the instructions. I thought, what does that mean? Yes, that's what all logical people do. Of course I'm following them, but, but apparently my dad didn't. And, uh, you know, those of you who don't, I, I recognize there are other ways to be, and whenever you end up with way too many parts and things don't fit together correctly, I, I accept the validity of your, uh, of your way of doing things, and anyway, just don't come to me afterward because I'll tell you what you should have done. But, uh, but, but we need instructions. Whenever we're doing new things, whenever we're trying to build something that we don't know how to build, then, then we need someone to instruct us. We need to know how to do it. And so uh, I had the opportunity recently to, to do a little uh, assembling, a little bit of building. My daughter turned four, and uh, from, um, from my in-laws, from her grandparents, she got a frozen Barbie Power Wheels Jeep. And uh, you can see her, she's driving, and her cousin is in the passenger seat. And, and uh, of course, everyone remembers the Jeep scene from the movie Frozen. <laughs> Maybe not. So, so uh, good merchandising. But, but uh, you know the thing that I found out whenever this gift was given is that power wheels do not come assembled. And uh, it's actually surprising the, the degree to which they can be disassembled. And so, uh, and so my, uh, my in-laws had this really good idea, and, and they purchased it, but they had it shipped to my house, and so I got to assemble it. And it, so if you're a grandparent, I just want to lift that up to you. That, that's a great strategy for buying things where there's assembly required, and, and you don't even have to assemble it. But uh, so, so I, I, um, so I got the, we got this box at our house and we set it out in the garage and hit it. And then the night before the party, I, I got to work and I think I'd been at, uh, at one church, our Friday night service that week. And so it was about nine o'clock by the time I got home and, and I got ready and, and put a movie on and had it going in the background. And then what did I do first? I, I got out the instructions and it looked something like this. <laughs> and, and I mean, it's really impressive how many parts go into that toy and uh, this is actually not my picture. There, there was a lot more chaos in, in mine, but that gives you the general idea of what it looked like. And, and so it was about a three-hour movie that I put on, and around the time the, the credits were rolling, I was finishing up, but I had followed the instructions. And so um, I got it all ready, and you know that, that final moment, if, if you're my size, you can't fit into power wheels, but, but I leaned down and held on to the steering wheel, and I pushed the pedal, and it went. And, and so I, I was excited, but it, but it was because I, I'd followed the instructions. While we were in Guatemala this week, the, the primary thing that we were doing, one of the, or the focal point of, of our work, was drilling a water well um, for, for people who didn't have access to clean water. There's um, no plumbing outside of the, no indoor plumbing outside of the major cities in Guatemala, and so people just don't have it. They may have a, a well that's uh, 20 or 30 feet deep, but it's not something that you can drink from because it's contaminated. And so we were digging a well, and, and uh, it may surprise you to know that one of the pastors does not know anything about well dr- drilling. And that was me. I, I knew nothing going into that. Probably um, Pastor Mark has been before. Pastor John is just so resourceful. He probably knows, but I knew nothing about it. And, and so I needed instructions. And, and 
I don't, there might be a, a manual for drilling wells. I mean, in fact, there probably is. But no one gave it to me, so, so I was going down there and just had no idea how. And so what, what did I do? Well, I, I found somebody who knew the instructions. And, and so on the left, you, some of you will know uh, John Hurd. He's a member of our church, and, and he's really the, the heart and soul behind our, our water well mission. He, he's, I think, uh, the majority reason why we have 24 water wells that, that, we've, um, that we've put in um, in different parts of the world, and particularly in Guatemala. But um, John is an engineer. He's a really great person to be around on the work site, but, but whenever I wasn't sure about something, I could ask John. And uh, the guy on the right is Jaime Torres. Um, if you've gone on water well trips before, you may have met Jaime, but he's just started his own uh, nonprofit ministry and is, uh, is putting in water wells. And so we went with him for the first time uh, in, in that capacity and had the opportunity to work with him. But um, he does that for a living. And so he knows what he's doing. I, I knew if I listened to John and Jaime, I was going to be okay, at least aside from the few times that they were messing with me. But, but most of the time, whenever I listened to them... It, it turned out okay. And just so you know that I, that I went down there and actually did stuff, that, uh, that is me cranking the drill. I've heard some groups went down and got to use a hydraulic drill. We did not. We had a manual drill, and uh, hydraulics would have been nice, but, but that's me at the crank. And just so you know, it, it was not a, a posed picture. I didn't show up and, and grab onto it and snap the picture and then go sit back down. Um, but but we, um, we did our work, and, and we were able to do it because we had people who knew the instructions. We had people who, who knew what to do, and so they instructed us and they guided us, and, and because of that, in, in that place where the rig is, there's now a well that gives clean water. And I even took a drink of it, and I'm still here standing, and, and so we know that it's good. And, uh, and so... Um, we were able to do that because we had people who knew what they were doing, who were willing to be instructors and to share instructions with us. And so they're great to have. It's important. We all, we all need them, but sometimes we can take them too far. And uh, sometimes we come to the point where the instructions become either, either so lengthy or, or so detailed that all we can do is really make sure that we're following the instructions. And, and it really takes the joy out of it and takes away our flexibility. And whenever we take them too far, instructions become restrictive. And, and we're really not able to do the things that we need to do because we're so focused on, on just following all the rules. Uh, we're not able to, to adjust as situations, uh, as situations change. And, and we know that instructions are written for, for general audiences, for general purposes. And sometimes the specifics of what you're going through don't match up with, with what was written in the instructions. But, but if you can only look at what's written and follow it exactly, then you're out of luck. You're not going to be able to adjust. We see sometimes this happens in faith as well, um, that, that people take the instructions really seriously, and, and, and Christian faith then becomes all about just following the instructions, following the rules, and, and never deviating from it. And so I want to show you a little bit what that can look like whenever we get into, um, when we get into that routine. Does anybody need that level of instruction in their lives? Like, if you do, you're in trouble because nobody told me to breathe this morning. 
But thankfully, I think all of you are, right? I mean, you're here. You all managed to breathe on your own. You didn't need anyone to instruct you to do that, even, even whenever you were little. Most of those other things, we do need people to, uh, to instruct us. My, my daughter needed someone to teach her how to brush her teeth, but now sometimes she needs reminding, but she doesn't need instructed again. She, she's learned that. And, and so we, we learn how to, to follow the instructions. We learn how to integrate those things into our lives, but sometimes we, we get so focused on them, on all of the rules that we have to keep, that, that we really fall into, um, into that restrictive mold of, of just, being a slave to the rules. And, and so what, what happens is we, whenever we, that happens in our faith, whenever we make it all about just only doing the things that you're supposed to and especially not doing the things you're not supposed to, then we fall into what we call legalism. And legalism turns Christianity into a, really just a mere list of rules to be followed. Just this is the stuff that you're allowed to do. This is the stuff you're not supposed to do. And, and if you follow these rules, then, then you're in. And if you don't follow these rules, then, then you're out. And uh, it varies from community to community which rules are, are really the most important ones. But, but either way, no matter which community we end up in, we've made it all about the rules. And that's not what God wants for us. That's not what, what the Bible's all about. That's not what Jesus came for, to make us follow a bunch of rules. And so here's, here's what I hope is, is that we can see, you know, sometimes we fall into kind of this false dichotomy is if, you, if you're a person of faith, if, if you um, go to churches, you know, I'm, sometimes people say, you know, there are Ten Commandments Christians and, and there are Sermon on the Mount Christians or there are Old Testament Christians and, and New Testament Christians. And, and it, we make kind of, I think, a false dichotomy out of it. What I hope you see is, is there's an important place for God's instruction in our life. And at the same time, the instructions are not an end in themselves. They're not what everything points toward. God's instructions aren't an end in themselves. They point to something greater. They're a means to something greater. And so that's what I hope you see this morning, is that, is that we need God's instruction in our lives. And the instructions are, are not the end. The instructions are, are not the purpose. And so that's what we're going to look at. To get there, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments, one of the, one of the most well-known lists of instructions that we find in the Bible. And so if you remember where the Ten Commandments came from, the people of Israel had become slaves in the land of Egypt, and uh, God had sent someone. Does anyone remember who it was? Moses. So, all right, this story is pretty basic. Um, so I'm just going to assume we all took for granted that, that it was a rhetorical question. But yes, Moses was the one who God sent to, as he said to Pharaoh, let my people go and to deliver them from slavery in Egypt. And, and so God did that and it took, there was kind of a, a long process, but eventually God set them free and led them through the Red Sea and they arrived at Mount Sinai, also known as Mount Horeb. Um, you see it in different places in the Bible by one of those two names, but it's the same place. And so they arrived at, at Mount Sinai and there God appeared to them and, and spoke to them and, uh, and gave to them, made a covenant with them. God promised to be their people and said, as I've delivered you, I will lead you into the land that was promised to your ancestors, into the promised land, and I'll care for you and watch over you. And, and God made a covenant with them. And then God set out the expectations for how they would, they would live into that covenant, what their response would be. And so um, God made a covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai and Oreb, uh, Mount Sinai or Oreb, uh, depending on where you're reading from. And then God gave the list of, God gave the people a list of instructions, a list of 10 commandments. 
And uh, that's, how, that's how the law began that, uh, that God gave to the people, is, is Ten Commandments. And, and so you're probably familiar with them, but um, do not, you do not have any other gods before me. Do not worship idols. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. And, and do not cover what, covet what your neighbor has. Um, these, these Ten Rules, these Ten Commandments, um, that kind of start off all of what God shares with them. And God goes on to... Uh, to, to give them, um, to give through Moses the law, um, what, the, what the Jewish people call the Torah. Um, we translate that as law or sometimes instruction. instruction. So God gave that to them to set out the expectations of what it meant to live in covenant with God, what it meant to them. And, and sometimes we look at that, and, and I don't know about you, but sometimes whenever I think of the Ten Commandments, they're not something that I look at every day. Um, that whenever I come to them, you, you know, what, what comes to mind is news stories, is the news stories I see, there's a Ten Commandments monument that's been built, or the legislature has passed something, and, and there's a court fight, and, and that's what I think of. Or maybe what you think of is whenever you see the Ten Commandments, you think, okay, that's a bunch of stuff that I'm not allowed to do. I mean, eight out of ten are, are prohibitions, that stuff you should not do, and, and it's like, okay, okay, this is not really uplifting. Okay, there's a lot of stuff that I can't do. Got it, that's okay. And we see that and we think, you know, this is, this is not particularly life-giving. If, if this is what it's all about, then I'm not sure that I really want to be a part of it. I mean, if it's just, if, if being faithful to God, if being one of God's people is just about following the rules, I mean, where's the, where's the joy in that? Where's, where's, where does that get me? I mean, is that really who God is? Because whenever we're in relationships that are based only on following the rules, I mean, that's, that's, those aren't happy relationships. Have, have you ever been in relationships like that where, where it's, just a, you know, you, it's just the rules that you have to follow, and, and if you get out of line, then you're in trouble? And maybe you've been a part of, of an organization that's really focused on making sure that everyone complies with the rules, and uh, so, so I've lived in, under an HOA for, for a year, and ours has been good, and uh, maybe they're a little lax on the enforcement end, and that's why I've not really had problems with them. But, um, but you know, if you've been part of a, of a bad HOA, you, you know what that relationship is like. It's basically all the stuff that you can't do, and, and the only relationship we have is that whenever I mess up, then you're there to issue me a citation or to try to find me or to get onto me for, for violating the rules. I had a friend growing up who, who lived in a, a neighborhood with an HOA, and, and uh, there was a, one of the rules was that you couldn't park in the driveway. And uh, they had a two-car garage, but their family had three cars once he got into high school. And so he would park in his driveway because the, they, could not, they didn't want to you know, ruin their house by trying to park three cars in a two-car garage. And uh, many mornings he would wake up and walk out to his car to go to school, and what would he find there? A citation, fining him for parking in his driveway, the one that he owned. And, and so he, his relationship with his HOA, how do you think that was? Not good. He does not have fond memories of it, although he does really like talking, t- telling stories about his not-so-fond memories with them. But that's not a positive relationship. I mean, there, no relationship that's just based on en- enforcing rules or whether we do the right stuff, that's not life-giving. And so whenever we look at, at certain parts of the Old Testament, particularly the, the Ten Commandments, and, you know, I know there's some really hard stuff in, in some of those parts of the Bible, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and um, we're going to explore some of that in a sermon series in a couple of months. We'll be wrestling with some of the hard parts of the Bible, but, but whenever we look at that, we have to read it in context. We have to read it in context. That's one of the things that we teach here is that whenever we read the Bible, we don't just lift out certain verses and say, okay, I like that. I'm going to follow that because uh, what it looks like whenever it's all by itself, it sounds really good. 
if we're going to understand it, we need to understand it in light of, of what comes before it and what comes after it. We need to read it in context. That's something that we particularly teach if you take in disciple Bible study. But whenever we look at the context of the Ten Commandments, it changes things. It's not just a list of rules. God didn't just show up one day and here's all the stuff you can't do, don't do it or else you're in trouble. What, what we need to remember is we can't understand God's instruction outside the context of the Exodus, outside the context of what God had done for the people of Israel. Because whenever God spoke to them from Mount Sinai, it was just after God had delivered them from slavery. They had been slaves for 400 years, and God delivered them and saved them. And so some of the things that we look at that, actually, that seem restrictive were, at, were actually joy-giving and giving them freedom. They'd previously been slaves, and, and sometimes whenever we think about the Sabbath, we just think about like, you know, if, if you remember blue laws, you know, things couldn't be open on, on Sunday, and so the Sabbath was, was really a drag, or you think about, you know, oh, I'm not supposed to work, and I feel guilty, but my job's really demanding, and so I can't take a full day off. For the people of Israel, they had been slaves. Do you think whenever they were slaves, they ever got a day off? No, they didn't get a day off. It was impossible. And, and yet God gave them this, this commandment as a way of living, and it was so important that it made the top 10 of remembering the Sabbath and keep it holy. This is a gift that God has given to you that you get to rest and enjoy who God is and, and to worship him on the Sabbath. It, it was a gift. And so wh- whenever we read it in context, it changes things. In fact, if we, read, um, if we read on through the books of the law, we see that as the people journeyed, the, the journey was long. They made it to Mount Sinai, and uh, then they um, continued journeying on and, and uh, d- decided at varying points, maybe we're not going to follow this God who delivered us from, from, um, from slavery in Egypt, and it ended up taking 40 years. But finally, they made it to the edge of the, of the promised land. And as, before they entered in, Moses reminded them of the covenant that God had made with them, starting with the Ten Commandments. That's what uh, makes up the majority of the book of Deuteronomy. And, and so that's the other place that the Ten Commandments are recorded, a, a little bit differently, but Moses is recounting that, and, and we see a few things differently there. But this is, how, this is how it begins in the book of Deuteronomy. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In, in fact, some people think that's the first part of the first commandment. Some, some traditions leave that out. Did you know there are like five different ways of counting the Ten Commandments? Anyway, Google it and you can look it up, not right now, but after you get home. You can make a note to do it later whenever, um, whenever you're outside of worship. But, uh, but God, had, uh, God had, um, had, had delivered them. And, and so in this first commandment enshrined at the very beginning is a reminder of why God is giving them this commandment. It's not just a God who showed up, said, hello, my name is the Lord. You are to worship me only. But I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the God who had heard their cries and who had reached out to them, who had sent Moses to deliver them, and who, after 400 years of oppressive slavery, had set them free. This was the God who, who was giving them these 10 words, these 10 commandments, not, not just someone who, who just didn't want them to mess up. It was someone who had demonstrated a, a love for them beyond anything that they could imagine. And this was the God who, who gave the law, who gave the Ten Commandments. Whenever we look at, at the instructions in the Bible, at the Ten Commandments and, and the rest of the law, at, at what the prophets teach, at the teachings of Jesus and the rest of, of the New Testament, they aren't just things that are thrown at us by, by a God who's vindictive and wants us to know how we can mess up so that we don't, but, but if we do, God's going to get us. 
It's from the God who loves us so much that he sent his son to save us, who delivered the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt, who delivered all of us from slavery to sin, who, who sent Jesus, who lived among us and taught with us, who suffered for us and even died for us and rose again, and the one who leads us into life eternal, life abundant, more, more fulfilling and profound than anything that we could find for ourselves. This is the God who gives us instruction. And so when we remember the context, we remember it's not just someone who's disinterested or who's interested in punishment. We know that the giver of the law is someone who loves us more than we can imagine. And so the law is God's teaching us how we can respond. And this is what, after Moses recounts the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel, this is what he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And so whenever we look back at the Ten Commandments, whenever we look at really the whole of of the law and what the Bible teaches us about the instructions that God gives us, what is that that really doing? According to Moses, it's loving God. It's loving God with everything we have. So whenever we're obedient, whenever we're following the instructions, it's a way that we can love the God who has loved us more than we can imagine, who has loved us so much that he saved us from slavery, from sin, and from death. And so it's a response of love. The the foundation of all of God's instruction in the Bible is God's love and our response in loving God. We can even see this whenever we look at just the structure of the Ten Commandments. Uh, The Ten Commandments basically break down into two categories. One is loving God, and one is loving our neighbors. And and so if you look at them, you can see the, the first part, no other gods before God, no images, no using the Lord's name in vain, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. What are those all about? They're all about the way that we love God. They're all about the way that we love God. And in fact, in, in, according to some scholars, the fifth was even considered a part of that because as God created everything that is, so our, our parents were co-creators with God in, in bringing life to us. And so by honoring them, we're actually honoring God. And so that, that can be seen both as a way that we love our neighbors, but also that we love, that we love God. But then not, not murdering, not committing adultery, not stealing, not bearing false witness, not coveting, what, what are all of those things? There are ways that we can love our neighbor. And so whenever we look at these, sometimes we can get stuck on the nose. Sometimes we get stuck on, on the fact that, that it's all about, you know, following the rules. What is it really about? What the Ten Commandments and all of God's instructions come down to is love. It's God's love for us and our response of loving the God who's loved us. This isn't just something that's confined to the Old Testament either. Jesus was asked by someone, what, what is the most important commandment? This is what he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Does that sound familiar? He's quoting straight out of Deuteronomy there. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, quoting from Leviticus 19.18. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What Jesus saw is, is really what we see in the law from the beginning, that what God's instruction, what God's teaching for us, what God's commandments for us are all about is loving God and loving others. Whenever Jesus was asked to summarize the whole law, he used those same two categories, love of God and love of neighbor. 
And so whenever we look at the, at the Ten Commandments, what, what they are, they actually, if you compare it to the rest of the law, it, it doesn't really fit. Uh, they're not really laws in themselves. They, they don't have uh, any kind of enforcement. They don't have any kind of punishment. And, and really, if you look at not coveting, that, that's pretty much unenforceable. I mean, how do you know if someone else is coveting what, what somebody else has? I, I mean, maybe you can guess, but anyway, that gets pretty sticky in a, in a um, legal context. And, and, and so, I mean, really, they're not laws specifically. Many of them are, are, um, are, um, full, are brought out more fully in, in the rest of the law. But I think really, if you think about it, if you pay attention to the number, you know, numbers are important in the Bible, and some of them come up a lot, the number 12, the number 40, the number 3. 10, not so much. If you think of what, what do you have 10 of, you have 10, uh, I'm holding the projector, the remote, but you have 10 fingers. And so really, maybe what some scholars think is the reason there are 10 commandments is not because the, that's some magical number, it's because it's easy to remember. Like, okay, if I count them off on my fingers, and uh, if you saw whenever I was recounting them and going through on my fingers, it wasn't just because I, I was counting, it was because I, I needed the reminder to get them all. It was a, an easy to remember way for for the people of Israel to know what does it look like to live faithfully in covenant with God, an easy-to-remember way, kind of a guide. And, and for us, God's instruction is not just a list of rules to follow, but it's a pattern for living a life in response to all that God has done for us. Because it's not about just doing all the right stuff that we have to do or else. It's not about ticking off all the boxes because God said so. God doesn't love us because we follow the instructions we follow the instructions because God first loved us. That order is really important. I mean, we get all kinds of hung up whenever we get that backwards. God loved us first, and so as we love God, we follow the instructions that God gives us. And whenever we do that, things change. And as we grow in those habits, as, as we focus on them and, and follow them really closely and, and specifically at first, they become habits and they become ingrained in us. And as we do that, we don't need to make specific reference uh, to, we don't have to have it all spelled out for us, but we won't learn what it looks like to live lovingly with God and with our neighbors. And, and so we spent the last week building a water well um, in Guatemala. Did you know, if you look throughout the entire Bible, there is no place where it says, you shall go to Guatemala and dig water wells? I, it's unbiblical. Okay, not really, I'm just kidding. But it's not specified in the Bible, and, and yet we go and do it. But what it does say in the Bible is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And it also says, Jesus says, I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And once we find out that we have brothers and sisters around the world who have children who are literally dying because they've drank contaminated water, we can't not do anything. It doesn't matter if we keep all of the other commandments. If we miss that one, then we've missed it. We've missed what's most important. And so we send teams down. And, you know, sometimes people ask us, why are we sending people down there whenever there are so many people here who are struggling? Well, th there are really two answers to that. One is we do both. We're doing so much in the community. You all do so much to bless the community, but we could stay here all day listing off those things. The regional food bank, feeding people, uh, project transformation, helping with childhood literacy. The list, I mean, goes on for hours. 
But we also know that whenever we go to places like Guatemala, there's a level of poverty that, that really doesn't exist here. And it's widespread in ways that, that we really can't imagine. Because, I mean, whenever, I mean, if I walk into the room behind the sanctuary that some of you don't even know exists, there are two different faucets in there. We have running water in two places in a room that only a handful of us use. And whenever you go to Guatemala in, in the rural areas, nobody has running water. Nobody. And so we can make an impact there that is totally, I mean, it's exponentially greater than anything that we can do here. And if you think about the kind of impact that we can have, that we can literally save lives, and, and we can put in a well for, it costs about $5,000 um, to put in a well. And when you think about that, if, if you're building a water well for a village where 200 people live, that's $25 a person to literally save lives because they have clean drinking water. Do you think Jesus wants us to do that? Yeah, I think he does. Because we see all kinds of things down there that, that we can't even imagine. Houses that, that, would, that would not come close to meeting code. We, we met a family this week who one of their children got pink eye, and it was just spreading from child to child. And I don't know about you, but I've had pink eye before, and, and it took a few days with antibiotics, and my insurance covered it, and it was an easy fix. For them, who knows how they're going to get rid of it? I mean, they don't have access to, to medication, and they don't have the means to get to a city where it is. There are God's people who need help. But as we follow God's instructions, as, as we learn to devote our lives to loving God with all that we are and loving our neighbors ourselves, then we're able to meet those needs. We're go, able to go out and to love people, and, and we're able to do things like this. Uh, we had a dedication ceremony on Thursday after the well was done, and, and uh, we took pictures and cut a ribbon and you know, did all of that stuff, and, and then we turned the water on, and, and the kids just went wild. And I had tears in my eyes watching children playing and clean drinking water. And then we all took turns having drinks too, and it, we had a great time. But their lives are changed because of that, because people are following the instructions. Because when it comes down to it, without love, it doesn't matter how many commandments we keep. It doesn't matter if we tick off every single one and say, you know, I've done none of the things that are prohibited, and, and I've done all the right things, and I've never worked on the Sabbath, and, and yet we fail to love others, and we fail to love God, then, then we've missed it. And we haven't even kept the commandments because, I mean, love your neighbor as yourself is pretty clear, right? But sometimes we get so focused on, on what are the rules, what are the instructions, and, and at the core of all of it is love. It's the most important thing. If you get one thing, I hope that's what you take today. God's instruction is all about love. And one of the things that we see is when we follow the instructions, life is better. And I know sometimes you see all of the you shall not, you shall not, you shall not, and you think, okay, God, this is kind of a drag. Like, but then you look at the stuff like, I don't really want to be able to murder people anyway, right? <laughs> That's a prohibition that has caused me zero problems. <laughs> I think my life is better because I've neither murdered nor been murdered. When you look at stealing... Life is better whenever people don't steal things. Whenever you look at not committing adultery, it's better whenever people are faithful to their spouses and have loving relationships. I mean, all of those. Sometimes it's difficult in the short run, but what we see time after time is that God's instruction is for our good. Not a bunch of rules that we have to keep or else, but a list of instructions that when kept leave us, lead us into the abundant life that Jesus promised and that he desires for all of us. 
So I want to give you a couple of action steps to try to live this out this week. And we're going to start with the first commandment, loving God, or the great commandment that kind of summarizes all of them, and particularly that first half, but loving God with all that we are and not worshiping any other idols. But, but the first one is, is committing to loving God through worship this summer. And if you're like my family, then uh, you're here and there, and half the time you don't know what day it is during the summer. And, and you know, last week I was getting ready to go to Guatemala while my wife was at camp, and, and so everything was, well, I mean, everything was run very well because I was taking good care of my daughter and managing things properly, but it was also a little bit hectic. And then my wife got back from church camp and we had a great five hours together. And then I headed to the airport and went to Guatemala and, you know, things are crazy. And a lot of times we're out of town, but, but I want to encourage you some days. I mean, it's easier to sleep in and uh, even if we are in town, but, but wherever you are, and if you're on vacation, then, I, then, you know, there's this great thing that you have on your phones that you have used 18 times probably already today called Google, and you can find churches, but uh, I already had someone recommend where I can go uh, to worship whenever I'm on vacation next month in Colorado, but, but find a place to worship, because worshiping God really is at the center of who we are, of loving God with all that we are. And so I want to challenge you to do that. And, and it's really exciting to see the Wright family here th- this week. They were in Guatemala with us and, and uh, got up for church this morning. And so uh, it's great to see you all worshiping. And the Morera family was here at the first service. Uh, the, the herds had a, are flying today still. So uh, anyway, we'll give them a pass. But, but life is better whenever we follow that. And we're filled up whenever we worship God. And so the second one that I want to encourage you is, is to teach children God's instruction. Teach children God's instruction. As God gives this to us, so we give it to our children. And that's really why we're doing the sermon series, because it's so important for us to pass on what God has taught to us and ensure that our children know it and are, are able to follow it. And, and so this looks differently for each of us. You know, one thing that many of us can do is serve at Vacation Bible School. You can make such an impact. And, and really, I mean, it's one of the greatest ways to get to know people in your church. But, but pray about doing that. You can be involved in our children's ministry on Sunday or, um, or at other times, but, uh, but that's one of the ways you can do it. If you're a parent, um, if you have young kids, then um, get out your children's Bible and just say, we're going to read this together every day. Um, if you have children who are older, find ways to engage them and, and teach that to them. Grand, grandchildren, the same. Maybe you don't have kids or your kids have moved out, but you can continue to, to have an impact on the children here. And, you know, it might just look like if, if you uh, come here often and, uh, you know, we're creatures of habit, we tend to end up in, in the same seat or the same area week after week. Maybe you notice, you know, that family is always sitting next to us and, and they bring their kids with them. I'm going to commit to learning their names. And every time I see them in worship, I'm going to say hi to them and make sure they know there's somebody at church who loves them and is excited to see them. That's one way that we can bless them. Maybe it's out in the community. Whatever it is, find ways to teach children God's instruction because this is what, this is what, um, what Moses tells the people after telling them the great commandment, loving God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. He says, keep these words that I'm commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you're at home and when you're away, when you lie down and when you rise. Because whenever we pass on what we've been taught to our children, then they're able to incorporate that into, our li- into their lives. They're able to go out and to serve Jesus, and sometimes in ways that are much braver than, than what we would do, because they don't have the same inhibitions. And they set examples for us in love that, that just blow our minds. But whenever we teach them, whenever we hold God's instruction in our heart, then things change. 
Lives are changed. And, you know, there, there's a village in Guatemala this morning. They no, name their villages kind of weird. It's the Line C4 village. Anyway, that's kind of a long story. But, but that village is different today because of what our church has done. And the people who came back are different because of the love that they experienced from the people of that village. And I think our community is going to be different because they're not going to let that just stay. But whenever we follow God's instruction, whenever we're faithful and serving, whenever we love others, things change. And the world changes too, just because we listen, whenever we're faithful, whenever we follow the instructions. We pray with me. God, we thank you for the instructions that you've given to us, and, and we pray that you help us to follow them faithfully, and, and especially that we always remember the heart of them, and that's your love. Thank you for loving us with a love that is beyond our comprehension. Thank you for desiring our good no matter what. God, help us to be faithful. Help us to teach others. And we thank you even for teaching us how to pray as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.